hey, I wanted to, you know, get that degree. And so I wanted to get that basketball scholarship and I wanted to, you know, you know, get that first big job and I wanted to close that first big deal. And it was always this external pursuit, right? And those things all achieved. It all happened. It was great. But there was something missing. Like, what's missing, right? And and part of that was re you know reestablishing my faith. Welcome to the picture of wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. That is the voice of Brett Swartz, and Brett is in California, and he is a specialist in commercial real estate, and more importantly, the exit of commercial real estate. He's got a great strategy, a great business called Capital Gains Tax Solutions, and his whole strategy is around people who have got a commercial building that has grown in value, and they are going to pay a lot of tax to get out of it. So how do you essentially not pay the tax or minimize your tax? And he breaks down the strategy on how to do this. So for any of you who like commercial real estate, who want to learn about the ins and outs of rental real estate and how to cash flow and how to look at properties, how to analyze properties quickly, and how to try and find good deals, this is the podcast for you. So without further ado, I I bring you Brett Schwartz, uh, diehard 49ers fan, basketball scholarship in university, two degrees, very sharp guy, and uh, he's a great podcast guest. Brett Schwartz, I'm excited to have you on the show today. We're going to be talking about uh, financial strategy, but more specifically strategy around commercial real estate, which, you know, listener, I know that's you. I know this is something that intrigues you. Uh, you know, Brett is in the U.S. and uh, advising clients on certain tax strategies and also helping people as a, a licensed commercial real estate agent uh, find, you know, multi, what's it, multifamily commercial. You're going to unpack that. So, Brett, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Justin, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's warm up with uh, you know commercial real estate in the U.S. What what was the affinity for you in the past? Why 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 do you think it's the best investment? Yeah, I grew up in the real estate industry with my parents, so I couldn't help but fall in love with the sticks and bricks of real estate and what it meant to be an entrepreneur and have cash flow and development. And so this is in the Silicon Valley, uh, Bay Area, East Bay of Cal- California, and we we just learned and loved real estate from a young age, and it just became a part of us. Uh, fast forward, uh, but us, I mean, my brother and I, and, and we would drive bobcats and hammer nails and shoot, uh, you know, um, ha- uh, nail guns. And I mean, all kinds of just cool stuff as a kid, you know, almost killing, you know, killing ourselves, you know, multiple times, but we survived it. And fast forward, we had a chance to study and practice multifamily investment brokerage at a place called Marcus and Millichap, uh, which is one of the top commercial brokerages in the U.S. Um, as it pertains to investment real estate. And that's when we learned about 1031 exchanges and ways to build wealth and underwrite and IRRs and cash on cash and essentially how to get some financial freedom. If you could own enough real estate, it could, you know, it could pay for your living expenses, right? And, and be, and you, you don't have to work, trade time for dollars. And, but that wasn't always the uh, best thing because we saw friends and family and clients lose half for everything in the 2008 crash. And so although it started out exciting in 06, when I started there, things quickly changed when 08 hit. And I saw friends, family, and clients lose half or everything um, over uh, the next three years. And that's when we learned that it's not just enough to have a cash flow plan. You've got to have an exit plan. And that exit plan has got to suit the freedoms that you're looking for. And it could be time freedom. It could be location freedom. It could be also financial and retirement freedom. But it could also be entrepreneurial freedom. It could be diversification freedom. A lot of different things that uh, uh, go into when you go to exit something and what it could mean for you and your family. And um, so I just became a sponge. I started to learn from a CPA and a tax attorney who's a genius 
And I just tried to, to just absorb what was possible. And then I started to apply that to my business because my business had gone from a little bit to like crash. I'm living at home with my baby and my, my, my wife and we're in my brother's small condo, barely surviving, working side hustles at a place called Cheesecake Factory. And I always share that part of the story because it was a grind and a hustle for a couple of years. But as we learned new strategies and we helped our clients get out of their challenges, they were losing millions. You know, I was barely surviving. But we, we, we quickly started to, you know, help more people and our business started to grow. And now all I do is teach and train and coach people how to do this. This being advanced tax uh, strategies on the excess of crypto, business, uh, investment, real estate, or primary homes. And, uh, and it's really fun. It's exciting to be able to, to help and serve, you know, clients across the country. Oh man, listener, I, where do you want me to go with that? He just opened up the door to, uh, so many different avenues, but I'm going to stick with, maybe we'll come back to crypto later because it's, uh, often, uh, a big head scratcher for a lot of people, but commercial real estate. So what are we talking about? Is this, you know, Grant Cardone, if you're a commercial real estate person, is like, you know, minimum buy a 32 unit thing uh is it are you prescribing to the same thing or are we talking you know right down to duplex like is that what you're helping people buy or advising oh good question so our um in the beginning yes it was a lot of smaller properties but um but also you know we just helped a client sell a 7.7 million dollar property in sacramento um and they decided to do a 1031 exchange. We helped a, another client. He just sold a, a mobile five mobile home parks in Moscow, Idaho, which is a little bit closer to, closer to you guys. And this was okay. Gary Lester. He shared his whole story, $10 million. And he was looking for time freedom. He had financial freedom, but he didn't have time and energy freedom. And so he shared his whole story. Um, this is a, a land deal for a what client named Tom. You're hold, so he's holding up uh, a, a brochure. Is that the brochure for the mobile homes or what? Was uh, this one was, yeah, this is actually Gary right here. If you, yeah, if you're watching this on video, see if it's going to focus here. This is Gary and he shares his whole story on, you can share on my YouTube channel. But yeah, Gary is a guy who, who wanted some financial freedom, right? And he's just like, you know what? Uh, I want to get mobile home park investing, right? He was kind of an entrepreneur, but also kind of working the, the, the W2. He was hustling and he goes to a seminar conference and he goes, okay, I'm buying one this year for sure, right? takes action, massive action, and then he buys two, three, four, five. And all of a sudden, the values shoot up to $10 million. And he's like, man, I got all this cash flow, but I don't have my time and energy freedom. And he goes, life is short. He goes, COVID has taught us a cute couple things. Number one, life is short. Number two, go out and live live what you want to do. Don't wait for it, right? Like we were talking before the, the, the thing. And this is, this is Gary's story. So, But he doesn't want to do a 1031 and trade five mobile home parks for 10 mobile home parks. He's like, that doesn't make any sense. I I have ten I have five problems right now. I don't need ten problems, right? And he goes, guess what? The deferred sales trust is what we specialize in. I can exit. I can defer my tax. I can also keep getting tax uh, cash flow, um, but I can be passive. I can be active, right? So the key, what we really do is we just help people unlock the freedom with their capital. And sometimes that means buying a duplex or ha- house hacking that. We have a real estate team across the country. Sometimes that means syndicating deals. And putting money into one of our one of our multifamily prop- properties and projects. Sometimes it means exiting that business. We just had a ten million dollar. I'm sorry, it was a seventeen million dollar exit. The client had seven million into the trust, and so he the business sold for a big amount. His portion was seven million, and for him, it's like he wants to move to Tennessee out of Cal- out of Taxifornia and be a little more retired. But he's still pretty young. And he probably wants to do some entrepreneurial stuff. So everyone's a little bit different. But our key is just to try to figure out how to help them get from where they want to be, which is where is a B and A is where they're at. And that involves multifamily investing that involves tax deferral and exits that involves, um, 
also we work with financial advisors. Sometimes it's you know securities and, and investments in that in that sense. Oh, so beep beep beep. That's the truck backing up, and I have to ask, what is for a Canadian? What's a ten thirty one? And for a listener in the U.S., I'm sorry if you already know what this is, but I think it's important for you to unpack the strategy that you're actually talking about. Yeah. So a 1031 exchange, if in, by the way, anyone can use this no matter where they're from. If you have assets in the U.S., you, you can use a 1031 exchange. So if, even if you're a Canadian, um, if you buy something in, you know, Washington for uh, a million bucks and you sell it for five million, you're going to have a $4 million gain and the government's going to tax that typically 25 to 50% the U.S. government. At least Canadian could be a whole other part of that side of the story there. I think it could be double sometimes. It's a huge tax. And so what you do is instead of paying that tax, you can defer it as long as you buy a property, let's say a five million or greater at that point. So it's basically trading your one equity of million that went to five and you're moving into another piece of property, 1031 exchanging it into a bigger property and deferring that tax and keeping the money working for you. Okay. So let's use uh, Mr. Mobile Home Park. He had five mobile homes. Is in that article, does it talk about numbers or no? Yeah, it's a $10 million asset. I mean, all of them collectively are about $10 million. They're five mobile home parks, so big parks, and collectively selling to one buyer for $10 million. I think his basis was right around, we estimated to be right around like $2 million. They had about an $8 million gain, right? And so uh, you have the state of Idaho, you have the federal tax, you have the Obamacare. We estimated about 30, at least 30% of that $8 million would have been wiped out by capital gains tax. And so he's like, I'm not in the business of just getting crushed by tax. I'm in the business of building wealth, uh, but I'm also not in the business of overpaying for property, especially with cap rates that are going lower and interest rates that are going higher. Not, cap rates aren't necessarily going lower. Maybe they're flat, but definitely interest rates are going higher. And so he's like, this is crazy. Like, And I have, and I, he also has some debt on the property too. So he's like, I'm in debt. I, I don't have my time and my energy. I have some financial freedom. But he goes, this isn't serving where I really want to be, right? I want to be out. So the deferred sales trust is the debt-free plan. He got out of his debt, right? He diversified his equity, and he got his time back, which was this, his biggest thing that he was trying to achieve. Then he leveled up. So what did he take? The, the Say he got $10 million, he had a million in debt, so he got nine. What? So then you have some sort of structure that, that nine goes into, and then he bought an apartment building that's a lot simpler or what? Good you, question. What yeah. So, so far the money's just sitting in the bank and it's in, in, I think like us treasury bills right now and, and maybe in a little bit of stock. Like we just literally, this one just closed two weeks ago. And this is the coolest part about the deferred sales trust is you don't have any time restrictions. Like you don't have to rush oh. around and make investments. So we eliminate that whole, you know, shotgun wedding, right? We all have the friends that got married really young or really quick and you're like, well, we'll hope that works out for you. Right. But 1031 exchange can feel like that where you're selling something and rushing around to buy something. In this scenario, we can sell and we can be quiet and calm and just wait and look for opportunities and dollar cost average. We can put some of it into the stock market, some of it into U.S. Treasury bills, some of it into multifamily projects, some of it into a business venture, some of it into crypto, some of it into um, lending funds, right? Essentially, you can diversify and be passive or you can partner with the trust and be active. And this is where you have entrepreneurial freedom or retirement freedom. And so that's the key. Like what freedom are you looking for right now? If you are listening to this and you have a highly appreciated asset, what is it that you're trying to do? Where are you trying to go? Why are you trying to go there? And the question is, once you clarify that, well, 
what's the tool to help you get you there? And what's the team to help you get to there, right? Because we don't need more money. We need more people, right? The people have all the money or the people have all of the ideas to unlock the freedoms we're trying to seek, okay? And these are the things that are really important. If you can build that dream team to help you with whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, then the, it's really the sky's the limit. This is why you want to listen to these types of podcasts so you can be obviously encouraged and challenged and, and, and pushed forward to go find that team to help you execute. Yeah, that is, uh, that is great uh, knowledge there. So I want to flip to the other side of whatever you want to call it, the volleyball court, the tennis court, and think of somebody now. So right now we're, we're, got, we're building a portfolio. And you mentioned the cap rates. Again, when I look at, you know, I, I'm an owner of real estate, commercial real estate. I follow it, uh, even though I'm, you know, I'm passionate about the market as well. I, I am a real estate supporter. And I, I can't make the numbers work for a lot of them. And so either the ones that hit the market are, they shouldn't have hit the market. You try and find them sooner. And so they don't hit the market. But I'm always thinking in the market, there's a buyer and there's a seller. So there's someone selling, thinking, I got to get out. And then there's buyers thinking I got to get in. So in your case, when you've got like a 3% cap rate and listener, if you're, you want a quick tutorial, it's like what you collect in rent in simple terms versus what you pay creates a number, a percentage. We'll call it cap rate. That's a really simple analogy, but it's a quick way to go, okay, uh, how much rent do I collect? How much are I going to pay? That's a number. And you can compare another property by doing that. Right now in, in our region, you know, say Western Canada, you've got cap rates of 3%. You've got foreign buyer. In residential real estate, we've got the Airbnb craze going on in our region where people seem to think that those numbers make sense. But how do we, how do we vet properties quick enough and find a good deal? Yeah, good question. And I think it, I'll make it even simpler for those who are wondering what a cap rate is. Your cap rate is your unleveraged rate of return. So, for example, if I buy something for a million dollars and it has a 3% cap rate, right? My cash on cash is 3%. My cap rate is 3%. It's the same thing. It's the unleveraged rate of return. So, it's $30,000, right? $30,000. So, the question is, what are, what, what are other investments paying right now? That's the first thing we always look at. Like, are you going to buy this million dollar? You're going to put a million dollars down. Right to go buy this asset that's only paying you thirty thousand dollars a year. Hmm. How long would it take you to get this thirty your million dollars back? Now, part of real estate is to leverage. So maybe you're putting a million down, and you're buying a three million dollar asset, right? But now you have debt. Now that debt is around maybe six six and a half percent. Not also ideal, right? So now you're in a what's called a negative leverage event where two of your three million is costing you six and a half. And your, 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 your 1 million is, uh, only on the 30,000, right? Um, or on the, it's on the, still on the, still on the full 3 million, depending on what you bought it for, right? It's the cap rate. So that one, that scenario would be 90,000, right? But it is not looking great, right? Where, whereas a year ago, we could buy something, let's say a, a 3% interest rate, um, and maybe a four or five cap. And by the way, hopefully you're not buying three caps. That's, it's just crazy in itself. Uh, but the only way people make sense of these kind of things, Dustin, is what's called a value-add appreciation play. A value-add appreciation play. So there's really kind of two things I'm really looking at. I'm always looking at cash-on-cash cash return. Like, if I put money in today, what am I getting tomorrow? Like, immediate. Number two, how quickly can I grow my NOI, my net operating income, right, 
to instead of a three cap to a four or five or six? Is there a way that I can do that through what's called forced appreciation, which is basically when you come in and you renovate a unit, you add the washer dryer, you do the landscaping, you, you clean up the place, the old tenants are out. Those are hard to find. And then you raise the rent, let's say it's a thousand a month to $1,500 a month. And you do that across a hundred units, right? I don't mind if I'm buying it at a three or a four cap, right? Depending on what I can borrow at. Because if I, if there's no rent control and I can get the tenants out quickly, then I can, I could carry it for a year, maybe a year and a half. And every time I can knock out a tenant and I can get an extra $500 per tenant across a hundred units, now all of a sudden my cash on cash goes from three or four to maybe five, six, seven, or eight or nine. And if I leverage it correctly, my appreciation skyrockets and then I can sell. So that's the name of the game. So it's not a simple answer. Of course, there's demographics. Of course, there's if it's a pro-growth, pro-business um, place. Of course, what are the rent comps? What are the schools in the area? Would you want to live there? These are all these you know general things you see. What are the utility costs? What are the insurance costs? Is it in a fireplace or a flood place? Like there's so many, there's so many nuances there, but that would be my suggestion to you, Dustin, if you're, if that answers the question. No, it for sure did. I'm happy that you sort of broke that down further. So is there, you know, you're in California. Is there deals in California? Taxifornia is tough to make sense of, right? Because it's so expensive. So let me tell you, there's deals everywhere in every market at all times. The question is, are you looking at enough deals, underwriting enough deals, making offers on enough deals, touring enough deals to actually know what a deal is, mm. right? So we get to study and practice the art of buying, negotiating, refinancing, exiting properties. And that's why what's what a good broker does because they're studying and practicing it on behalf of all their clients so they can help you do that. So now it becomes what is a good deal? Well, it's like anything. If you go shopping for a car, you go shopping for a whatever. If you can see a hundred cars in a, you know, in, in 10 different dealerships, you could probably go, okay, well, based upon this pattern, I see a deal, right? There's a deal. So what are, what are you studying and practicing? Right. And, and then do you have the capital available? Do you have the expertise to take it down? Do you have the broker relationships? Or are you direct to owner? I mean, these are all the things that you got to have a team. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's tough. You know, if you want to, you got to get started somewhere. So sometimes that means buying the duplex. Sometimes it means buying the 10 unit. You know, if you can get a hundred units, that's really powerful, right? And, and if you can do that with the team, that's even better. And then you can scale that. I recommend just going big right away if you can to building that team, doing it with some partners, you know, 75 or a hundred units minimum. Ideally, two or three hundred units at a time, uh, and but it's yeah, everyone's in a different spot. So in uh, so in so give us the latest example in your portfolio or in your recent uh, advice. Uh, a multi-unit. What are you paying for something like a seventy-five unit building? Like what's a or or give us your recent example of one that's a multi. Yeah, so there's one right now. We're working with uh, working with. Um, I'm a small GP in, um, and and I brought in some investors and stuff. And it's uh, it's like 200 units. It's Texas, and it's it's uh, it's a it's it's that's what I call a semi value add in that it's most of it's already <clears throat> a lot of the value's already been added. A lot of the owner put a lot of money into the deal. And the rents that we're looking to achieve, though, still have a gap between right around $200. 
as the units turn and maybe some light renovations, you can raise it by about $200. So within three to five years, we hope if you put 100000 in there, we're hoping to get your 100 back plus maybe sixty or $70,000 in addition to that, which is pretty good, right? right. And, and in the meantime, you get cash flow of about 6% or so. so. But you also get what's called depreciation to offset the income. And <clears throat> collectively, a lot of different investors, a lot of LPs, just a couple of GPs. And, and then it's rinse, wash, repeat. You know, we say, okay, we put a hundred in, we can get, you know, 200 would be great if we get 200 back, um, at the end of three to five years. But in the meantime, we collected about 6%. We got depreciation on this side to offset our cash flow, right? We call this tax flow. Um, that's, that's a powerful way to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to back up again and get you to unpack two things, uh, GPs and LPs, what, what that actually means. And general, yeah. Okay. Okay, go for it. You can, uh, yeah, general partner and limited partner, right? So general partner basically is the is the active owner or active partner that's doing the work, um, buying the deal, negotiating the deal, hiring the property management, is the property management, managing the operations, managing the debt stack, managing the investor relations. Like it's everything that has to do with actually doing the work. The LP or limited partner are like silent partners. They typically just put up capital. And then they just go keep doing their day job, right? But they get a percentage of the ownership. Typically, it could be like a 70-30. The LPs put up majority of the money. They get 70% of the ownership. The GPs, let's say, get 30% of the ownership, but they, they do it's called sweat equity. They're doing the work to earn that. They typically get an asset management fee of a, a 1% or so, right? And then And then they get their payday typically at the end. You know, they'll still get some cash flow as part of the part of the ownership, right? But at the end, if they achieve, let's say they bought it for ten million, it goes to fifteen million. They may have put no dollars in and put all the sweat equity in. Well, that extra five million would be split seventy thirty after the preferred return is paid back to the investors. Preferred returns are between like six and eight percent typically to the LPs. But it's a win win because the LPs like, well, I don't have the time or the energy to do it or the expertise. I have the money that I want to do it, and the GP says. I have the time and the energy and they may or may not have the money or they have a lot of deals going, but they're like, look, let's scale this business across, you know, 10 or 20, 30 properties. Let's do all the work. Let's earn the sweat equity on the exits. And that's where we come in as well. And we say, okay, when you exit, we just did a $48 million deal in Las Vegas for a G two GPs. This is their fifth deal they did with us. See if I can pull up the picture for us here. And in this scenario, um, you know, they have millions of dollars. This is a $33 million deal in Vegas right there. And you can Should watch David tell his story on this. And this one, um, he was GP on. Is it, huh? Residential? Uh, yeah, it's a multifamily. Yeah, okay. multifamily yep. project okay. there. Low rise multifamily. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Las Vegas. And so, uh, but 33 million, they, 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 they crushed it. And so he and his other GP partner and also an LP partner all ended up going into the deferred sales trust to further tax. And, um, and that's when they can move that into their next deal, all tax deferred, right? So this is the cool way that. We're doing all the exit planning and the strategic investments. Um, on on the LPGP. So here's here's a personal story. Uh, you know, for a couple of years ago, I was approached. Uh, you know, a pitch man, whatever you want to call it, a guy who had an idea, and it was a retirement home about four hours from where we are. So there there is no retirement home there. Get all the specs and the demographic. Uh, it was about a thirty million dollar build, uh, and so. Multi-family, you know, it's multi, 
it's not a not a, a nursing home, but a assisted of, living or, or yes, memory care. Deal. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. So yeah. Great idea. And that demographic around there would kind of fit that. Would they pay the rates he was talking? I don't know. But you know, his minimum investment was five hundred as sort of these tranches of, of investment. So that's fine. When I asked him about how much he was putting in of his own money, so a client of mine always, you know, he'll laugh because he's a listener, skin in the game. And I said, how much skin in the game do you have? Well, he said, I, you know, I don't have lots of money. Or now I got, you know, 200000 that I'm going to put in of my own money. And it was like a, I thanked him for the meeting. It, it was exciting. And, and he left and I kind of scratched my head after and I, maybe I'm jaded. Maybe hopefully you can correct my beliefs that his risk is pretty low for taking on, you know, I'm considering myself, I'm considering bringing clients in and introducing them to this idea. And if it doesn't work out, well, he's out 200K. So how do you stick handle that? Or how do you, how does the GP have such little, I get the sweat equity, but he's got to still do it when I've written the check as the LP and it's gone. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's good insight. And so, especially on a $30 million ground up development, assisted limiting, memory care, um, or anything that has to do with senior housing, that's even more complex. So the first thing you're always going to ask in a sponsor is track record, right? Track record. So, uh, okay. So 200,000 is your, is your, all you're in for? Yes. I'm curious. How many of these have you done before? How many $30 million builds from the ground up? Excellent. Can I see these? How much money did you put into those ones? How are they performing now? May I speak with 10 of the investors that were in that deal? If he hesitates or says no or doesn't have it, then you shouldn't even have the meeting in the first place, right? So um, now I, I also invest in senior housing um, memory care facilities, right, as an LP. And what's cool about the way he does it, the, the GP, he puts 50% of his own money in. Love it. The other thing is he is, he is, um, he is signing on all of the debt. So, so sometimes the GP can be the key, the, the key principal and they're putting their debt and their name. And so this particular key principal, by the way, the group that I work with, 50 years in the business, his parents did it. They have over, uh, 30 projects in eight states. They have an amazing track record of performance, right? I mean, it's just in their first class in their communications, their culture, their leadership. Uh, I remember because actually representing them on the buy side, they all flew down in a, in a, in a jet and, um, they jump in these, these minivans for the renter cars and they have eight guys and I, I'm the broker representing them to buy the land. I hadn't met the guys. They're actually from Washington and they're flying down to Taxifornia and they land in Sacramento and they get out and I meet them at the property and we're going through it. And it's like these worker bees. They all like land in these little cars and they all go out and the guys on laptops. I'm just watching all this happen. And then I hop in the van with them and they're like, just, just like going. And I'm like, and I just, I was around like, the machine of it all, right? Like, and this is like, and this guy's worth, you know, I don't know. This guy could be worth like a billion dollars, the one guy, right? Yeah. And he's, he's the guy, he's, he's driving the car, he's driving the van. It's a minivan, right? And so it was just so cool. And I'm like, wow. And I got to see their project. And guess what I wanted to? They didn't even ask me, but I said, hey, can I invest with you guys, right? Can I roll my fee in there? Can I bring my dad in the deal? So they weren't like selling me at all. In fact, they didn't need me at all. And they just allowed me. And I actually came in for a smaller amount. Their minimum is typically 200. We got in for 50K. And, um, so that's the point. So our, what's the track record, right? What's their performance? And then you're right. How much is in the money? Now, if the guy, if, for example, if this guy who does put 50% of his own money in and sign on the debt and he's been doing it for 50 years with his family and all this stuff and has all this success, if he came to me and said, Brett, this particular deal, I'm only putting 200 in, but I've built 
you know, 20 projects in the past 36 months, uh, you know, between 15 and $30 million and they've all been successful. I probably wouldn't be as concerned about that. Right. Yeah. Right. But if he doesn't have that, then you're right. I would stop right away and be like, this is too much risk for anybody. Or even if he said, I put 50% up, I mean, we'll do the flip side. Yeah. I'm going to put up $15 million of my own money. Wow. That's pretty amazing. How'd you get that 15 million? Where did it come from? Right. How did you earn that? And why are you willing to risk that on this? And by the way, how many projects have you done? And if he hasn't done the projects, I don't care if he puts up 15 million or 200,000. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's great. So can you help, uh, you know, listener get their head around how you find a deal? And is it realistic that a like common person never done a deal could put a partnership together to do something or should they seek a, you know, a closed fund or should they seek to learn or, you know, where I'm going with that question. Yeah, I think it's all of the above. You got to study and practice being a GP and an LP. Um, the top GPs I know are all LPs as well. And they're going to other people's funds. They're going to other people's deals. They're seeing their communications. They're seeing their underwriting. They're seeing oh. their deals their opportunities. Like it's just, it really, it's, it's investing in your education. When I became a broker at Marcus and Millichap, our goal is to get on the other side of the phone, which meant become the owner of the real estate that we were trying to help people sell. And really, it was an investment into our education. We got to sit and listen to people that are millionaires, 10 millionaires, a billionaire, right? When you get to sit and talk and learn that, our minds and our opportunity is, is limitless, right? Really, right? To the extent that God gives us certain things, we all have different gifts, right? But that's, that's the key. So if we can, if we can connect and be with around and learning from all of these others, the better. And then, yeah, take action, right? What does that mean? It could mean start, start raising capital. Could mean start building broker relationships. Could mean buying your own deal. Um, what is it the gift that you've been given, right? And how does it best serve and help other people? Um, what value are you going to bring to the GP relationship? Are you going to be the guy who finds the deals, negotiates the deals, ties the deal up? I mean, the guy who raised the capital, who raises the debt, even the operations, you want to be behind the scenes and just manage the assets, right? Like what part do you want to be in and then find other GPs that are as passionate about you and values driven as you are align with them. And because we can't all do all of it really well. In fact, that's, 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 that's the, that's the hardest thing, right? If you want to, if you want to go far, right? Go with others. If you want to go, you want to go fast, you can go alone, but that's the other thing too. How are you going to, how are you going to raise all the capital? You're going to take all the debt on yourself. There's a lot there. So I really, I really would recommend, um, aligning with people that align with your values and then who have this, a, a complementary skill set to you. Where do limited partners and general partners hang out? Is there uh, websites that they, hmm. you know, we could do Tinder basically like swipe right for an apartment building. Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah. So the people that approach us that want to invest with us, um, and we create a lot of content on like you do like a podcast and, and we just, we speak at events and get to know people and we just show them our deals. Like, I mean, I just, you know, we did a $13 million deal in, in, in San Diego. And then, and then we did a, a $29 million in Texas. And then there's a $2.2 million deal in, in Walnut Creek. And here's one in Georgia for 7.7. So what I found is just a lot of people, you can talk and talk and talk. I think you guys have a saying up there in Canada, right? You know, don't just give me the steak. I don't need any of the sizzle, right? <laughs> just literally just show the stuff that you're doing, right? Or introduce them to people that are already doing the thing. And like, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is another one I just closed. We closed five deals in, in, um, in, in, uh, in, uh, this month in December, December, we're in January now. And so that's really it. 
create content, serve people, add value. People are naturally going to be attracted to that. Write blogs, go to bigger pockets, go to Facebook groups, go to real estate meetups, um, read the books, buy the books, get into masterminds, go to the conferences. I mean, we already know all this stuff. It's just a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. But if you're passionate enough, you can do it. Brett, uh, I did, you know, and people can look up your bio and look up your success online and, and figure out that you're, you're doing well and kicking ass. But what do you do in your own world? I'm not asking for specific numbers, but how do you balance? And listener, Brett's got five children. So, uh, how do you balance your own world of like, you make good money. Okay. What do you got? What do you got? Okay. You guys see your family. What does it say? Oh, go keep going. I was just, you keep talking. I was just showing for people who want to see the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got a great family. Uh, how do you manage where you spend your own money? Do you make decisions with your spouse? Do you mm. allocate all your own money into real estate? Cause that's, you know, that's obviously your, what we call wealth edge. You're, you're good at that. Your risk is lower that you're focused on that. But is there a, a strategy or is it pretty much at your age? Just go go hard business, reinvest in the business, and take as little out as possible. I've given yeah, you a, a good question. question there. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a couple different parts, right? So first thing is I I try I try to practice the habit of working harder on myself than I do on my job. And it's a it's a quote from a guy named Jim Rohn, and and the, and the quote continues to say, if you work hard on your job, you'll make a living, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But if you work harder on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And the idea is not just to make a bunch of money, although that's really cool because you can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun, right? The idea is to become everything we were created to be. So that's our health, our finances, our fitness, our family, our, uh, our, our personal development and leadership, our faith, right? These things are all so, so important, right? And if you can focus on working harder on that, like a lot of us, like especially with me, I know my story was, hey, I wanted to, you know, get that degree. And so I wanted to get that basketball scholarship and I wanted to, you know, you know, get that first big job and I wanted to close that first big deal. And it was always this external pursuit, right? And those things all achieved. It all happened. It was great. Um, but there was something missing. Like what's missing, right? And, and part of that was re, you know, reestablishing my faith. And that changed, you know, no matter what was going on on the outside externally, I was centered in my faith. And for me, it's, it's Jesus. I'm a Christian, right? Like it didn't matter if everything else was going wild and crazy. I'm at peace. I can't explain it. Okay. It's a spiritual thing. The other thing could be opposite, right? Everything could be going amazing out there externally on the world kind of stuff. But internally, if I wasn't focused or, you know, you know, connected with, 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 with Jesus in, a, in an intimate way, like, Something's missing. I can't explain it. You know, my dad is, wasn't a believer. He's still not, we're praying for him. He's still not. My mom is. And so I had both sides growing up with the public schools, heard all the stuff, you know. And so for me, it starts right there at the foundation of my faith. Now that, it, that moves out into our, our family, right? With my wife, wife and I married 13 years. It's, it's our money, right? It's her money. In fact, I have to tell her, Hey, this is your decision too. Like you can't just, you know, tell me to make all the financial decisions. Like this is your, our decision collectively. Okay. So we want to practice, you know, in the beginning it was Dave Ramsey, like paying off all the debt, right? Getting a clear budget, right? It's like getting in shape. We paid off 64,000 coming out of college of credit card debt, a little bit of student loans. And like it was, it was kind of a mess, but for 26 months we buckled down. We lived in a $135,000 house 
and just, you know, just paid it all off. And it was great. Uh, and then fast forward, as we built the wealth, we just try to study and practice, you know, certain ratios. We give, we give, uh, we give about 10% away, um, to causes we believe in. We, we try to invest and save a good percentage. And we also enjoy our wealth as well. It's so all of these things. Now we also try to get seven different income streams, right? Is our goal. Okay. The average millionaire has seven different income streams. And so as you get multiple income streams, especially if they're passive, guess what? It takes a lot of pressure off of that, just that one income stream. And so these are all connected and steps. And I think that answers the question, but I don't know. Dustin, what are you thinking? No, it's uh, it's a great because everyone does it different. And uh, as an entrepreneur, and especially if you're successful, it can feel lonely sometimes. And uh, you might not feel open enough to share with you know, other people or, you know, unless you're part of mastermind groups or confidential places, uh, you know, so it's always nice to, to kind of, and I, I'm grateful and thank you for sharing that with us of so kind of a deeper dive. But I, uh, I had a lot of fun. Is there uh, one thing that you're most excited about in the real estate space or, or crypto, or, you know, this would be your, your, your chance to, to enlighten us on what, are you based on all of your experience and knowledge most excited about in, you know, the commercial or wealth space uh, as, as you see the interesting economy and world that we live in now? Yeah. So we're in the largest wealth transfer in the history of the planet it's happening right now, Dustin. Okay. In the history of the world, there's never been more wealth transferred ever. And in fact, there's about 32 trillion is the estimate that's passing from the baby boomers. These are our parents, right? To us in the next 20 years, 32 trillion. Think about that, right? And 50% of all of that wealth is tied to high-end primary homes, businesses, and commercial real estate. And they're illiquid assets that have are subject to huge estate tax and capital gains tax. And so it's our opportunity and actually our, our um, responsibility to educate people on how to exit and move funds outside of the taxable estate and or defer capital gains tax so that the wealth stays with the people versus going to a government that will waste it away in about 10 seconds, okay? And so the freedom of really, and this I'm speaking for America right now, the freedom of America is directly tied to who controls this $32 trillion. And to mean that we can give it to the causes we believe in. Now, the good news is if we use advanced tax strategies that we have, capital gains tax and estate tax strategies, when they exit, the funds actually create more tax revenue because the funds need to go into businesses or investments and create housing and all these really cool things. So everybody wins. Government wins too. But people who don't know about them and don't execute them, don't have a team, gone forever. Okay, so there's 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every single day. And there's over 77 million in the U.S. alone. Now, this also applies to Canadians Canadians as well. If you have properties, especially, actually, it's even more so to you guys, okay? Because if you have properties, let's say in Washington or Taxifornia or anywhere in the U.S., okay, you are subject to, you only have a $68,000 as approximately a state tax exemption. So let's imagine you're worth $50 million, okay, Dustin, and you own, and it's, all of it's in uh, a New York apartment complex and you live in Canada. If you do not exit and move it into something like a Deferred Sales Trust Plus, you are subject to 40% of that 50 million being wiped out by the U.S. government. And nobody wants that, right? And so instead, you as a Canadian citizen, or if you're in Europe or wherever you're at, you sell, you can move it outside, you can eliminate that 40% death tax. And this is such a powerful thing that 
we're on a mission to train and coach 10,000 business professionals across the U.S. so they know how to do this and are aware of it. Otherwise, they're going to get wiped out and it's, it's going to be brutal. Okay. So that's, that's the biggest thing. Just, just it, it's not about t- cash flow anymore. I mean, it is, but if you're a multimillionaire, you probably already figured the cash flow thing out. It's about tax flow, tax flow, because guess what? Government spending is out of control. Inflation is out of control. 31 trillion alone in the U.S. for debt. So you've got to focus your attention from your cash flow to your tax flow. Tax flow. And, uh, you've, you've, uh, if we only had another hour to debate, uh, sort of the, the world, the economy, but that could be another podcast and, uh, the transfer of wealth. And I love how you put it that it is a win-win for the government. Uh, and so listener, again, can't stress enough the power of a team. I can't stress enough the power of, uh, you know, ETFs were a big thing back, you know, four or five years ago. Low fees, low fees, do it yourself, do it yourself. Advisors are shit. Well, guess what? Uh, you know, the wealthiest people in the world usually don't do it themselves. So Brett, give us a summary of where people can find you online. Yeah, I think go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. You can also search that on YouTube or iTunes or Spotify. It's Capital Gains Tax Solutions. Our YouTube channel, by the way, is filled with an amazing amount of playlists that break down the 1031 exchange versus the deferred sales trust and kind of helping people unlock uh, what's possible with exit planning. You can also look out the new book that's coming out. It's called Building a tax deferred exit strategy. Uh, Kevin Harrington from Shark Tanks in the book. And this is the proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan on selling assets of any kind for yourself or for your clients. And it's called building a tax for extra. It's going to be on Amazon here shortly. So look for that as well. Awesome, Brett. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, Go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy.